This week on Blue 58, the bye week is over. Is there any reason to believe we'll see an improved Packers team in the second half? We'll dive into that question and more. Plus, Martellus Bennett is calling it a career. What does this mean for the Packers going forward? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Excited for this episode that we have ahead. Going to do something we haven't done a lot uh, in the past year at Blue 58. Going to take some of your questions, devoting the back half of our episode to that. But first, let's dive into the headlines from the bye week. A relatively limited slate, I must say. Pretty quiet quiet bye week for the Packers. Gets That's what's happening when, you're, when your team is uh, on the downswing for a little bit, let's just say. But first and foremost, we need to talk about Martellus Bennett hinting at retirement. Martellus Bennett is not retiring, as we know of so far. He has only hinted at it. He said these could be the last eight games of his career. In fact, we do have the direct quote because he posted his exact words via Instagram. What a weird time to be alive. This is how news breaks in 2017 in the NFL. Here is the direct quote. After conversation with my family, I'm pretty sure these next eight games will be the conclusion of my NFL career. To everyone who has poured themselves and and time into my life and career, these next games are for you. Thank you. Bennett, of course, joined the Packers on a three-year, $21 million contract earlier this year. Packers do have a pretty substantial out after this first year of the contract. They'll be in good shape financially if he decides to walk away. But where do the Packers go from here? They need a number one tight end moving forward. So where that where is that player, if anyone, going to come from? Well, they've got three options the way I see it. First, they can just hold steady with what they have and see how it all washes out. Lance Kendricks is under contract for next season at a pretty affordable cap figure. He's only going to cost two and a quarter million dollars against the cap. You can live with that no matter what else happens. If nothing else happens, the Packers will have Lance Kendricks next year. I don't think that's that's a, a worry for them. Richard Rodgers is going to be a free agent, but I don't imagine that he is going to be all that expensive and he's a pretty dependable player, if a little bit on the limited side. I think he's probably back with the Packers next season. From there, you have the draft. And I think the Packers are going to be in a position where they're going to have to draft a tight end uh, coming up this spring. Uh, there have been a lot of rumors about the Packers and a lot of top-end tight ends, basically since Jermichael Finley called it a career, or since he had his career ended for him, I guess, Uh, after that 2012 season. Uh, This could be the year that the Packers finally need to take that plunge and get themselves a tight end uh, who can be a a significant target for a few years. Um, I I don't think with the way that the Packers like to use their tight ends that they can really afford to keep doing this year by year, just try to figure it out sort of thing. They need to have somebody that they can develop and build around a little bit. And that's not going to be Lance Kendricks or Richard Rodgers. They are what they are at this point in their career. Useful players, but uh, they're not going to be any more than what they already are. So I think there is a good chance the Packers do end up drafting a tight end next spring. I wouldn't think that they would look to do it early given some of the other potential needs on this team, but I think it's probably going to be in their scope. Finally, their third option, and this one is interesting, I think, Uh, They could be looking at another possible big free agent swing. 
Now, if the Packers really want a big field-stretching tight end, there very well could be one available, and his name is Jimmy Graham. Uh, currently with the Seattle Seahawks, he is likely to be a f- unrestricted free agent after this season, barring something unexpected happening with the Seahawks and an extension between now and then. He may end up going back to the Seahawks, but if he doesn't, he is going to be available. Uh, he's about roughly the same age as Martellus Bennett, maybe a year older by the time he would actually get to the Packers than Bennett, but he has a completely different game than Bennett as well, uh, completely the the stretch-moving field stretching down the middle of the of the field big fast strong guy that that Bennett has not necessarily been so far this year a pure receiving tight end if you will I guess as opposed to more uh, balanced approach from Bennett Graham is going to be a free agent this offseason I don't know if the Packers would be interested or if they want to go that route again it's also worth bearing in mind that Graham is probably going to be more expensive than Bennett was even uh, at the the relatively affordable contract the Packers gave him. He's, he's, he's fairly pricey for a free agent pickup. Graham is probably going to be even more than that. It is an option. It's out there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Could also be, I guess this is a fourth option, that the Packers uh, hold steady and don't do anything else. Like They have Lance Kendricks and Richard Rodgers, and they're fine with that. They just sign a couple undrafted guys and and they, they call it good. That has been what they've done in the past. I think back to the era when the, when the Packers were going through guys like Andrew Corliss and Tom Crabtree and, and Ryan Taylor and things like that. Spencer Havener in there. I mean, Tom Crabtree is a great follow on Twitter, but he's not a game-changing tight end on offense. Though they were extremely successful, like the 12 times in his career that they did throw him the ball. They got a pretty good return <laughs> for those 12 times or so. Not saying that, but... none of those guys are going to be a big part of your offense. It could be that's the way the Packers just want to go and they choose to spend those resources elsewhere. Speaking of the allocation of resources, a puzzling move for the Packers this week. Uh, During the bye week, they have elected to bring back Joe Carriage to their practice squad. This is one that we covered strictly through social media. There is no corresponding post to this one at thepowersweep.com. Carriage comes back after being cut after preseason he was a key special teamer for the Packers last season he appeared in just nine games uh, for the Packers throughout the course of the the 2016 season then spent all of training camp with Green Bay this year before he was ultimately released the question here as I mentioned is why why allocate your resources like this the Packers only have 10 practice squad spots why spend one of them on a fullback why spend two of the 63 roster spots that you have on fullbacks? I ask that because Aaron Rubkowski has not been really a part of the offense at all so far this season, uh, much less a significant part of the offense. Um, he's played just 80 snaps so far this year and really isn't contributing all that much on special teams. I do get it. It is just the practice squad and it doesn't matter, but if you're not going to use your fullback on your active roster at all, why bring another one along on the practice squad? Why bother with two fullbacks? Oh, why not spend this on another defensive back or another pass rushing type player that you could develop? There's got to be someone out there who can help the Packers more, even in practice, than another fullback. Because if the Packers are at the point where they're using two fullbacks on their roster again, something better have gone wrong in the backfield. Last year, I understand it to an extent, 
because the Packers were in such weird situations with their backfield. I mean, at one point, they had really no healthy running backs because Eddie Lacy and James Starks got hurt. Don Jackson got hurt. Niall Davis was around. Uh, and then you had Ty Montgomery, who wasn't really a running back yet. Randall Cobb taking carries. Then pretty much just Aaron Ripkowski and Joe Carriage. That was all. And in that sort of situation, maybe having two fullbacks around makes sense. But the Packers are carrying four running backs on their roster already, and they're barely using Ripkowski as a blocking back. Why bother keeping another one around? It's just, it's just very puzzling to me, and it seems like the Packers don't always fully think these things through because they're spending time and money in, in a roster spot on a guy who isn't going to help them much this year at all, barring something extremely unusual happening. It's just really puzzling to me. That's really all that happened during the bye week. Pretty uneventful. So let's move ahead here in just a second with a a couple of your questions as the Packers head towards the second half of their season. But first, we all have our own superstitions before game day. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with the, the clothing that you wear. For me, I think the most prominent clothes related superstition that I've ever had uh, dates back to, to my years in, in basketball in high school. I was very particular about the way I packed things heading off to, to games, both at home and on the road. You always had to pack the duffel bag so that when you were getting dressed in the locker room, the first thing that you pulled out was the next thing that you were going on. So there's a, a particular order I'd like to put everything on. And I had to pack the duffel bag so that everything that I pulled out would correspond exactly with that order. If I didn't get it right, it felt like the whole game was going to be off and uh, it just it just didn't feel right. That's how superstitions work. It just doesn't feel right if you're not getting them right. And if you're in the market for a new superstition, I've got an idea for you. A t-shirt or a hoodie from the Power Sweep. We're partnering with this website called Teespring. You may have seen a couple of our ads before. They offer extremely comfortable t-shirts and sweatshirts uh, that we now have in a variety of designs from the Power Sweep. Uh, some in green, some in gray, a variety of shades on hoodies, on long sleeve t-shirts, short sleeve t-shirts, uh, stickers, I think even phone cases are up there somewhere. If you're interested in uh, getting a hold of one of these, head over to our store by clicking the shop button at the top of our website and pick up a new shirt for your game day. I have worn these shirts uh, from the Power Sweep that I have on two separate games so far this year, in addition to my normal rotation of jerseys and other shirts. The Packers have won both times. I'm not saying that correlation and causation are the exact same thing, but they have won both games where I've worn my Power Sweep shirt. So I think it's worth trying out for you. Head over to shop at thepowersweep.com. Check it out. Blue 58 So lots of questions circling around about the Packers heading, heading into the second half of this season. Lots of good stuff out there. Uh, we've gotten a few questions from readers uh, from a variety of sources, and we'd like to take a little bit of time as the Packers get really back down to business um, after the bye week, answering a few of these questions. We touch a little bit on offense, on defense, on free agency, uh, even on some coaching strategy, and I think uh, I think these are going to be informative. As always, if you have questions about the Packers, never hesitate to reach out to us via Facebook, Twitter, email, uh, our contact page at thepowersweep.com. Drop us a line and we'll try to answer your question in the best way that we possibly can. So let's dive right in. First and foremost, John and Sheboygan wants to know, did the Packers screw up by not grabbing Vernon Davis? The big tight end 
uh, signed a three-year, $15 million deal with the Washington Redskins earlier this spring as, of course, the Packers were making some of their own moves at tight end. The Packers, of course, went in a different direction, uh, I guess walking away from Jared Cook after some unusual stuff that we've never really gotten to the bottom of. Uh, they signed Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks. Jared Cook goes on to sign with the, uh, do you call them the Las Vegas Raiders yet? I guess they're the Oakland Raiders right now. He goes on to sign with the Raiders. Uh, Vernon Davis, meanwhile, signed a free agent deal with the Redskins last offseason, the offseason prior to this one, and then re-upped uh, on that three-year deal uh, after the 2016 season. So far this season, Vernon Davis has 17 catches for 312 yards and one TD. Uh, Jared Cook, meanwhile, has 31 catches for 373 yards and one touchdown. In short, I don't think that the Packers screwed up this decision, but the decision that they made at their time certainly hasn't worked out the way that they thought it would. I think there can be really no question that the Packers have not gotten what they thought they were going to get out of Martellus Bennett. Uh, as a receiver, he has been a tremendous disappointment. Sure, he's been fine at a blo- as a blocker, but the Packers really weren't signing him first and foremost for his tremendous blocking ability. I think if there's something that you're going to give on at tight end, it would be a, a blocking ability. So, it's, it's fine that he's a good blocker, but I don't think that's what the Packers were really looking for. They were looking for his ability to create physical mismatches with uh, linebackers with his speed and defensive backs with his size. And that, to this point, has not materialized, and it's worth wondering if it's ever going to at this point. But all that considered, I think, given what they knew at the time, the Packers still made the right call. As late into his career as Martellus Bennett is, Vernon Davis is still a couple years older, and Jared Cook is right there with Martellus Bennett. They're about the same age. It really, at the time, there really wasn't a whole lot of strong arguments for signing either Bennett or Cook when you could get Davis or Cook when you could get Martellus Bennett. I think you would take Bennett uh, if... At the time when the Packers signed Martellus Bennett, if if you had the choice, you can have one uh, of Bennett, Davis, or Cook. You would take Bennett every day of the week and not think about it twice. Now, though, and we've explored this a little bit, I think that you would take Bennett third out of those three options, in part because I'm just not sure he's a great fit for what the Packers want out of their tight ends. Like I said, being a good run blocker is a great bonus to have as a tight end, But it's not what the Packers use their tight ends for, first and foremost. The Packers like to move their tight ends around to create those physical mismatches with a guy who's big and fast uh, against guys who are either one of those things. They're either big or fast. And Jared Cook was able to do that. You saw that down the stretch as he got healthy last year, and you saw that in the playoffs. It's a great asset to have if you can have that. Vernon Davis is much the same way, although I'm not sure that the Packers would have given him a three-year, $15 million deal, even if they saw the sort of numbers that he's been able to put up this year. And still, 17 catches, uh, barring a couple real long ones there, it's not super spectacular. But um, I think if there was a mistake done just solely with with Vernon Davis, it was not grabbing him for the one-year, $2.4 million contract he signed with Washington prior to the 2016 season there. If there's another screw-up, 
I think it was really not playing hardball with Jared Cook prior to the start of last season when the Packers really had the chance. He wanted a one-year deal heading into the 2016 season, and the Packers wanted to, to sign him to a two-year deal. Uh, Cook held firm and ultimately got the one-year deal that he wanted. If the Packers had been able to get him for two years, I don't think we're having this conversation about um, Thorntellis Bennett being a frustration for the Packers because it's probably a Cook-Kendricks tight end group rather than uh, Bennett and Kendricks. Ultimately, this is neither here nor there. I think, like I said, at the time, it was still the right right call. It hasn't worked out that way, but still, uh, at the time, I think you would have taken Bennett over Davis and Cook. Sometimes those things just don't work out, and that's football. Uh, another John asks a question. John was uh, one of the people who wrote in last week, and he returns with another question here. Uh, he asks, what are your thoughts on Joe Witt and Darren Perry? They seem to escape any accountability here uh, in Green Bay. We've drafted a bunch of talent there, yet the collective defensive backfield is rudderless at times. Great description. I, I agree. If properly coached, the leadership role should not drop off so much when Burnett is out of the game. Lots of missed assignments, Randall out of control at times and lacking focus and so on. I think we may be over applauding the development of guys like Shields and confusing it with good coaching. Uh, well, first and foremost, there's, there's a couple different things to address here. I think there are, are different kinds of good coaching. Uh, development is one part of coaching and, and on-the-field coaching is another. I think when it comes to development, the, there's really no question about the success of both Perry and, and, um, and Joe Witt. Uh, you know that we're big fans of Joe Witt here at the Power Sweep, and, and that really hasn't changed over the past couple of seasons, despite the, the, the struggles in the secondary for the Packers. But just look at a, a list of names that the Packers have developed. Nick Collins, Tremont Williams, Sam Shields, Morgan Burnett. It's not just really Sam Shields that's being applauded, although I think it is, is worth, uh, worth pointing out that maybe, yeah, sometimes there is a little bit too much credit that goes around for the development of, of just one guy if you're only focusing on Sam Shields. Now, the game day stuff is a little bit different. And Gary and I have talked about this off-air off a lot. It's really hard to say uh, how much we should be blaming uh, Perry and Witt and Dom Capers. Here's what we do know. Like John points out, the secondary has been in rough shape at times this year. Very, very rough shape. In fact, it's large part in large part because of their secondary issues that, uh, that Mark Ingram was able to score that touchdown completely untouched two weeks ago at Lambeau Field. And uh, it, it hasn't shown a lot of signs of improvement so far this year. I think you can ask a lot of questions about whether it's a leadership situation without Burnett back there and whose fault that is, but I don't know if you can ever land on any one particular person or even just Witt and Perry or Capers or, or whoever. I'm not sure you can ever figure out whose fault that really is. It's somebody's fault, and it looks real bad. It may just be the fault of the players out there. But I agree that it is disheartening um, to see these sorts of issues. It seems like easily fixable issues, too, just knowing where you're supposed to line up before a play. That seems like something that, that any kind of coach should be able to fix, whether you're good or bad. Just getting people lined up in the right spot seems like pretty basic stuff. We struggled with it with our seventh grade team last fall that I coached, but they're seventh graders. These are professional players. That shouldn't be a big problem. So I think if I'm going to answer John's question here, 
definitively, I don't know if we could blame Perry and Witt for what's going on. However, I do think that John rightly points out that you should include people like Perry and Witt if, you're, if you want to play the blame game uh, as far as assigning blame for the Packers' defense. It's not just fire capers. It's, it's, it's everybody. Everybody's in this together. It's, just not, it's not just one guy making decisions about how the team is going to run or how the defense is going to run. It's worth broadening the scope, even though you can't necessarily come down on a firm answer on whose fault, it, or whose fault something is. I know that's not a direct answer to John's question, but I think it's worth, um, worth thinking about. Brian asks via email, how is Mike McCarthy so conservative? Run, run, pass, punt. He runs on first and second down, then he has to pass or run on third. He does it all the time with Rodgers in the second half of games if we have a lead until this season. Now he does it with Hundley. He puts his QB in third and long, running to a defense designed to stop it on early downs. Brian doesn't really have a, a super specific question here, but I think it is a, a, something worth talking about and pointing out. Um, Something that I've really noticed a lot over the last couple couple seasons in the NFL is really good teams, successful teams, really making a habit of avoiding telling people what they're going to do. And that's something that I think Mike McCarthy has not adapted very well towards doing. We talked at length last week, and I won't recap it here, about a particular third down play, a third and one play when the Packers came out in an obvious heavy situation. Everyone in the stadium knew what was going to happen. It was going to be a power run, and it ended up not being. Or it ended up being, and it ended up being a loss of, I think, three yards on the play. Just a complete disaster of a down for the Packers in an early game situation where they just couldn't afford to be making mistakes, especially with Brett Hundley under center. I think McCarthy has not adapted to the trend of being flexible with what you do out of particular formations. The Packers should be able to run effective run plays out of formations and alignments that look like passing plays. And that should happen on any down. It's not just because you're in third and short that you have to get out the big guys and tell everybody that here comes the run, here's what we're going to do, you better stop it. What are you trying to prove with that? That era of football is over. Three yards in a cloud of dust is long gone, especially with the personnel that the Packers have. I think with a beat-up offensive line, you're really not going to be able to do the, all right, we need a yard. We should be able to get a yard when we need to have a yard. That's fine, and I understand where you're coming from with that philosophy, but the Packers just aren't in a situation where they can do that. Um, again, it's not directing, directly addressing what Brian asks here. I don't know why Mike McCarthy is so conservative, or, or so conservative at times, because generally I think he's a pretty aggressive coach, and the numbers bear that out. But I do think it's interesting how McCarthy has not necessarily adapted to things the way that we've seen other coaches around the league. Um, I think if you want to make an argument, and I'm not saying, please don't quote me on, on saying that this is what I think the Packers should do. I think if you wanted to make an argument for firing Mike McCarthy, it would be something along these lines. Uh, I think McCarthy is the sort of coach, he seems to me like a startup CEO almost. He's a, the sort of coach who can get you organized, who can get players, uh, who can establish a program, who can get, get players 
uh, into a, a playbook uh, that they can understand and have a base level of success with, do, do just basic things. But sometimes it feels like he is unable to get past that level. So when you've got your startup company and you're ready to take it public and really say, all right, we're going to take over the world now, Mike McCarthy doesn't seem like that kind of guy because you can't make the jump to that next level. That's just my opinion. Uh, I, I don't I, Obviously, the Packers don't feel about him that way, but I think if you're going to make a case for firing Mike McCarthy, it's because he doesn't seem to be capable of elevating past just that base level of preparation. He touched on this a little bit last week, talking about seeing a more limited playbook or a smaller playbook for Brett Hundley. I've reconsidered a little bit about what I've thought about that quote because at the time I, I kind of criticized McCarthy on it, but I think that is a, 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 a good indication of where he could be going that, that is a little bit more on the successful side. I would rather see a much more limited, a smaller playbook designed specifically for Brett Hundley and what he does well than an ultra-vanilla version of the Aaron Rodgers-style playbook. I don't think the Packers can play that kind of game anymore, and I think that, that the Packers would be much better off just focusing on what Hundley does well and going from there. Finally, Gary asks, and I told you Gary was going to be with us on the, on the podcast this week, but he was, he was unable to make it for things outside of his control. Uh, maybe we'll get him on in a future episode. But Gary asks, what makes Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark good linemen? This is a real quick, easy answer because it comes down to three things. Leverage, hands, and quickness off the line. Leverage is that thing that you always hear broadcasters and commentators talking about, just being able to, to get low, get under guys, uh, and win by just getting in the right position. It's a cliche in football that the low man wins, but the low man almost always does win because you're able to get more power and drive off the line just by getting low. A real good way to get leverage is with, with good, quick, strong hands. And both Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, if you watch them play, are really good with their hand placement. They almost always get their hands on the opposing lineman before the lineman is able to get their hands on them. And that means that they're able to set the tone for that little mini battle that they're having right from the get-go. They're able to, to get first contact, to start shifting guys off balance, and to start setting them up for moves and counter moves uh, uh, down the line. Finally, quickness off the line. Uh, this is just getting off the ball faster than anybody else. Daniels is so fast uh, getting into opposing linemen that they almost have no choice but to, to, to hold or, or just abandon their plans just to try to stay in front of them. But as fast as he is, I think Kenny Clark may even be a little bit faster, and that might have to do more with his length. He's a good couple inches taller than Mike Daniels, and I think it helps a lot with his quickness off the line. Those are real three quick, easy things that you can even watch from home and, and watch and see uh, Daniels and Clark excel at. Uh, every week. Hey, while I've got you here, I wanted to talk a little bit about the NFL trade deadline. It passed Tuesday afternoon, just a couple hours before we rec recorded this episode of Blue 58. The Packers, as expected, did not make any trades, but I think it is worth talking about trades worth talking about trades in the NFL just for a second anyway. I think the Packers would be well served to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to making trades. And it comes via something that I call the bad GM heat check. A heat check is when uh, a player in, in basketball typically throws up a shot that maybe is just a little bit too far out of their range. 
but they put it up anyway because they're feeling good. They've maybe hit a couple shots in a row, and they just want to see if they've really got it going. You see a guy like J.R. Smith do this virtually on any shot. 25-foot three-pointer might be a little bit open, but we'll give it a shot anyway. Let's just see what happens. In football, if you're a good general manager, I think you should consider making what I call a bad GM heat check every now and then just to see what happens. In my mind, if you are what you consider a good general manager, periodically it would you would be well served to call up someone that you consider a bad general manager and try to get one of their players. Offer them something that sounds relatively reasonable. Say you called up, I don't know, the Buffalo Bills and say, hey, We've got Kelvin Benjamin here. Why don't you give us, I don't know, a third and a seventh round pick for this guy that we were pretty good without and uh, really don't need anymore? What do you think about that? And by golly, maybe someday they might just accept. Good general managers should be calling bad general managers just to ask and see what happens. If you've got a bad general manager with a good player that you want, call him up, offer something, and just see what happens. You might get lucky. That's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to Blue 58. You can find us online at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and Twitter. We are at The Power Sweep in both of those locations. If you have a question you would like to be featured in a future episode of Blue 58, never hesitate to send it our way via thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We appreciate each and every email we get, and we will try to respond to them. You can support The Power Sweep on patreon.com. Head over to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Chuck and a buck to help us keep this whole operation rolling. Uh, Check us out at teespring.com as well. We've got all sorts of great designs as well. And if you don't want to do either of those things and you just wanted to leave us a review on iTunes, we would appreciate that as well. Everyone helps. And uh, we've been getting some good ones lately, so we appreciate that very much. As always, any feedback you want to offer us is great. Helps us make this show better. Helps us make the whole operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. I have been your host. We will see you next week on Blue 58. Mm-hmm.